This is Jerry Bingham, host of Hush Loudly on WGN+. I do believe that those who are called are also equipped. And so I have been able to use the gifts that I have been blessed with. And I'm so grateful that they have been well received and that they have been what was needed at this most trying time. everyone and welcome back to Hush Wildly where we talk about all things introversion and everything else. I am so happy to introduce you to our next guest. I'm going to read her bio first. Dr. Ngazi Azike is the director of the Illinois Department of Public Health, the first black woman appointed to lead the 143-year-old state agency. Dr. Zike is a board-certified internist and pediatrician who previously worked for Cook County Health, the hospital and healthcare system addressing the needs of the residents of Cook County for more than 15 years. She also was medical director at the Cook County Juvenile Temporary Detention Center. Prior to joining Cook County Department of Public Health, Dr. Zike served as Austin Health Center Medical Director, where she actively engaged with the community on a variety of health initiatives. She also has delivered inpatient care at Stroger Hospital and primary and preventative care in community and school-based clinics. Dr. Zike is a nationally recognized expert in the area of health care within the juvenile detention and justice systems. A graduate of Harvard University and the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine, she is a certified correctional health professional and diplomat of both the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Pediatrics. She is also an assistant professor of pediatrics at Rush Medical College. She is the recipient of several honorary doctorates from Southern Illinois University, Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science, and Knox College, and numerous awards, including the University of St. Francis's Sister Claire of Assisi Award, the 2020 Excellence in Public Service Award from the Motorola Solutions Foundation, the Lester McKeever Individual Service Award from the Chicago Urban League, and the Health Innovator Award from Erie Family Health Center, an advocate for maintaining work-life balance, particularly in challenging times. Dr. Ezeke is an avid tennis player and reader and is fluent in Spanish and French. And I have to add, she's also a wife, mother, and a very, very nice lady. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Ezeke to Hush Loudly. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. I, I wish I could have spared you <laughs> reading all that, Ms. <laughs> no, it's important. We want to know all about you. And I just have to add, you have so many fans. You, I think you, you well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But my first question that I ask to all my guests is, are you an introvert? Yeah, I, I think that I have moments where I, I really want to stand back where I don't want to be in the midst of crowds. Even before just standing in front of cameras for press conference, I really have to try to settle myself and try to find that spot inside before I can come and come out with my, my outward self. But, but I also love people and I love the energy of people. So I know that there's some components, but yeah, I don't know if I would take on the full label, but definitely, you know, some characteristics. 
Well, the experts, the Myers-Briggs, the personality people, they say that no one is 100% introverted or 100% extroverted, that we are all on the spectrum and that we have a preference. And so we may be extroverted in our work life or whatever for whatever project or whatever's happening in our life, but our preference might be the more chilled, calm, less stimulating environments. And so when we talk about it, we say how we just turn it on and turn it off. There are so many introverts who are celebrities or famous that people are surprised to hear, like Oprah. She is an introvert and Michael Jordan and Bill Gates. And there's just a bunch. The one who kind of shocked me was RuPaul. He came out and said that he was an introvert. But then I said, I can see it. So he's performing. That's his job. That's his passion. He loves it. But his preference is just more low key environment when he's off stage. So I think we have a little of both. So thank you for that. So I want to talk about how we've all become fans of yours, introverts, extroverts. You know, I don't know if you know, but you have several fan clubs and we watched you daily through the shelter in place. We were in fear. We didn't know what was happening. You and the governor and city officials. And you always seem to bring comfort and definitely some compassion. You could feel it. And I think everyone could feel that uh, as we watched you through all of this. But you were suddenly thrust into the spotlight because I don't think this is normal for a director of public health. Could you ever have imagined that you have fans? That's the first question. And and because everybody loves you. And then also, could you ever have imagined that we'd be in something like this, this pandemic? No, absolutely not. No and no. I, I was really afforded this incredible opportunity that I never even dreamed of would be part of my career. And I fortunately said yes and really took that leap of faith that this is a a great opportunity to do a lot of impactful work. When I was interviewing and when I was talking to the governor, there, there was no hint of a pandemic being, you know, around the corner. So, but you just, you're there. uh, And I, I, I do believe that those who are called are also equipped. And so I have just been able to use the gifts that I have been blessed with. And I'm so grateful that they have been well received and that they have been what was needed at this most trying time. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service. Can we jump right to the virus? And can you explain why and how it keeps mutating and what needs to happen to make it stop? I know. Uh, No, I mean, unfortunately, viruses, by their nature, that is something that happens. They multiply quickly. And in that multiplication, which in the science term is called replication, you know, errors occur where the babies are not exactly the same as the original. And so as those changes are made, it means the properties of that virus will look different. So Changes and mutations are standard. We have seen that, you know, very much in in HIV, where you have different uh, strains, and and we're seeing seeing that same thing here. What ideally would happen is that you know when you have one of those initial strains and you find, which we did in less than a year, you know, an effective vaccine, 
the faster. And again, remembering that our world is more than just Chicago or Illinois, but when the world, who was all seeing the same virus, is able to get vaccinated quickly, that slows down the ability for this virus to keep multiplying and then creating those new mutations. But, you know, everyone is not vaccinated and the virus has had opportunity in many, many settings, different settings around the world to to do its thing. And, and And that's what we're seeing now. So the advice still remains the same, that we have to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. And how do we convince our children and our siblings and our cousins and our family members who think they're invincible? Because I think we're all running into that where I'm not even talking about the anti-vaxxers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just people who are like, oh, I'm fine. I'll be fine. Uh, I'm not going to get that. I don't see many people. I'm not hanging out. What can we do to convince them that it's important that they get vaccinated? It's important that they keep the mask on. It's important that they stay away from, you know, big crowds and, and all of that. You know, it's even harder now than it was at the beginning. I think, I mean, if we think back to March, April, everybody was, I think most people were on board. They, they, they got it. Like, we didn't even know what we were fully dealing with. We just were hearing these crazy stories, you know, out of Wuhan, China, and we're hearing that it's moving. So everyone was like, okay, this is this is something we need to we need to settle down. We need to stay in place. We need to wear our mask, et cetera. I think a lot of this is fatigue, you know, like it's easy to be on high alert for for a minute. But when the minutes turn into months and and now years, people are like, okay, you know, I'm ready to move on. I know for young people, that's that's a thing always that they think nothing can happen to me. I'm invincible. Like that's literally one of the developmental stages uh, of human growth and development. So we expect that to people, you know, even up into their 20s. And, you know, for some people that adolescent stage lasts even longer than that. So we expect that from younger people. But, you know, older people, you know, you would hope that even if they didn't feel that they were at high risk, that they would understand this sense of community. At this point, you know, when people say, oh, it's a personal choice, I'm like, is it, though? Because personal choice means what you do doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me. But it does. It affects everybody else in the community. The fact that we have all these people going into the hospital and we have just made nurses retire, quit, gone, that we don't have enough people taking care of the patients. Now, if somebody goes in with a heart attack, they could be sitting in the emergency room for for days because there aren't beds in the hospital. So that, quote, personal choice has affected grandma's ability to get her heart attack taken care of. And so it's not it's not about personal. It's about living in society and following rules that are good for the society. We don't we don't get to just drive our car at 150 miles an hour because it's my car. I can do what I want. You, you don't. And right. so thinking that there's not things that we have to do that might not be just about me, but it's for the, the better good. Like we need to get back to that thinking. And I think we've lost that a little bit. Well, thank you. Great analogies, too. I wanted to ask you about the monoclonal antibody therapy. I've heard you talk about that a lot recently. What is it? Who is it for? Is it a shot? Is it a pill? Is it an IV? Tell us more about it. Right. So the monoclonal antibodies, again, this is, you know, first things first, you know, we'd like everybody to get the vaccine. But if someone, you know, 
does get infected with COVID, and especially if you're unvaccinated, there's a much higher chance of having a severe illness. So the monoclonal antibodies are an intravenous infusion for the most part, an intravenous infusion that, you know, obviously has to be set up by a nurse. It involves needles, you know, getting into one of your veins and then running this medicine. And it's basically the antibodies that go into your system so that they can fight the infection that you have right now. There are some formulations of it that can be administered as as shots, but, you know, it is a, a medical treatment has to be administered by, you know, a healthcare provider, by a nurse, involves an intravenous infusion, or it can be four shots under the skin. And you have to get it early, early, early in the illness. If you're already in the hospital, this is not, this is not for you. This is to prevent people from ending up in the hospital by lessening the severity of the infection. Okay. All right. Thank you. So now I want to jump to, because I know our time is limited. You are a wife. You are a mom, you're a servant leader, you're constantly on the go. I've seen how your schedule works, it's crazy, and you are working for the people of Illinois. How do you find time for yourself? What do you do to recharge? You know, I I, want to be, you know, just keep it 100. Like, I'm struggling to do that, and I am very grateful for, for the village. You know, I have the assistant director of public health for the state, called me and was just like, you're making everybody else take time off for the holidays. When are you taking time off? And she was saying like, she was trying to take care of me the same way that I am trying to take care of other people. So it's helpful to have those voices and those supportive people reminding you of what you know you need to do, but sometimes you put yourself last. So I'm trying to do better after, you know, having you know, just this has been a a very challenging time right now. And then coupled with the stress of the holidays, you know, I am reaching out and getting help and in in the forms of different kinds of support, mental health experts versus, you know, confidants and friends that you can just vent with. So it is very important. I, I love to play tennis. That is a great outlet for me. I have been able to try to carve out time to do that you know, to, for the fitness level. And I just, I love competition and I love, I love, you know, sport. So between sport, between prayer and meditation, and then having supportive family, I have an incredible partner who is hundred percent there for me and supportive. All of those try to help me keep this whole ship afloat, but <laughs> there are times when, when it gets tough. Well, thank you for sharing that. And and we hope that you find the time, make the time. Are so happy that you have a team, a tribe that is supporting you in the workplace and at home. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll put links up so people know how to find out the latest from what's happening in Illinois from IDPH. But thank you, Dr. Zike, for joining us today on Hush Loudly. And we wish you the best. Such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoy Hush Loudly. Please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to us. Did you know Hush Loudly has t-shirts? Yep. Show the world you're an introvert without saying a word. We also have t-shirts for the extroverts in our lives who need us. Go to hushloudly.com slash shop.